morning, everybody. So I woke up this morning and saw that it was raining, and I thought, man, what an excellent leadership decision I made to have one service on New Year's Day. So (laughs) my apologies. Next week, 9 and 10.30, everybody. 9 and 10.30, all right? My name's Jason. If you're new, if you're here for the first time, it's great to have you with us. Uh, Like Pastor Scott said, we would love to connect with you. So if you just hit that little QR code on the back of the seat, or like he said, fill out that little card, you can take it, drop it off in the boxes right there, or stop by the tent out in the lot and give it to someone uh, there as well would be great. So here's where we're at, guys. We're going to start a new series uh, today that's going to take us through most of 2023. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at the words of Jesus. Specifically, we're going to look at his commands. There's roughly 50, 50 specific commands that Jesus gives. And uh, I realize that this might not be the most the most popular thing to bring to the world, our culture, society. Hopefully, at least, it will be embraced by God's people. But I actually have a larger agenda for it, and, and it, is, it does include those who are not yet part of the Christian community. And, and I say this because nobody likes to be told what to do. I don't know about you, but I've never met somebody that's just really eager to be told what, what they should do, when they should do it, how they should do it, or to be told that they're doing something wrong. And, and the reality is, if you're reading the Bible and you're open-minded and you're open-hearted, you're gonna read some stuff there that challenges you. It challenges the way you think, what you believe, and how you act, things you say, even your attitudes. And if you're not being challenged in life, you're not going to grow. So it's like we either put ourselves in a position of authority over the Bible, where we determine what things we will receive and what things we will reject, or we place ourselves under a position Uh, where we are under the authority of the scriptures. And at Illuminate, that's our position. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. There's many good reasons to believe that. We believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And so we put ourselves under the authority of scriptures. So people have been asking me, how do you develop uh, a new teaching series? And I've really never shared those thoughts with you before. In fact, somebody just asked me before the service today. And so I thought I might take a couple of minutes and share with you the inspiration uh, behind this. And so it's, it's actually three or four fold. First of all, the inspiration comes from primarily conversations that I've had with you all, the people who call Illuminate their home church. And what I love about our faith community is that you have a genuine desire to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And since that is the case, then we should probably know what Jesus has to say. Secondly, the inspiration comes from conversations that I've had with with friends, specifically new friends that I've made who are far from God. They are not yet part of the faith community. They would not claim to be Christians, but rather they would still claim to be truth seekers. Thirdly, uh, just from uh, a cultural observation, uh, there's some interesting phenomenons happening right now. For example, some of you might be familiar with the clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson. He wrote a book a few years ago called 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. And unexpectedly, in his own words, this book has been tremendously well-received by young men between the ages of 18 and 35. Literally, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of men the world over are literally lining up to hear what this guy has to say. And it's, it's fascinating from a cultural perspective. Because if you're not familiar with his message, it's, it's rather hard-hitting and straightforward. And my friend and I went to hear him speak here in the Valley a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, 
and he spoke at the Arizona Financial Theater, and it holds 5,000. He spoke for two nights. Both nights was sold out. And my friend and I, we were, we were definitely the, the oldest guys in the room. We were definitely on the older scale. But it wasn't just a room full of young men. There were also young women there as well. Now, he speaks in, without any kind of outline, all right? So, like, from one speaker to another, he has, he has no outline. He has uh, it's just a stream of consciousness. And so these people were paying money to hear him give, essentially, a lecture for over two hours. And they were hanging on every word that he had, has to say. And he's, he's doing this tour all over the nation. And his message, again, if you're not familiar with it, is, is pretty hard-hitting, for example, what he's telling people, especially young adults, young men, is, is to take responsibility for yourself. Simple things. Stand up tall with your shoulders back. When you speak to people, look them in the eye. Make your bed. Because if you can't take care of your immediate surroundings, what makes you think somebody's gonna entrust something larger to you? Own your junk. Be honest with yourself. Bear your cross. And so I'm listening to him speak and I'm thinking to myself, what is the appeal? What is the appeal? I mean, in our culture, why would so many young men in particular be drawn to this guy's message? And I have a theory. I think in part it's because Jordan Peterson is sort of playing this role that many young adults never had, young men in particular. You know what role that is? That's exactly right. He's kind of like the dad you never had, but secretly you always wanted. And deep down inside, you actually know that you need that kind of dad. And so they literally line up to hear him drop wisdom on them. But what's the underlying need? Well, the, the cultural moment is telling us that, again, young adults in particular are desperately seeking for some kind of guidance, wisdom, help, truth, and direction. And he's speaking to the heart of it. I think it's the reason why Joe Rogan is so popular, right? Because from an outsider's perspective, seemingly here's a guy that can't be bought, so to speak. And so he's, he's simply speaking what he believes. The other inspiration comes from the fact that our, by far our most popular content on our YouTube channel is the series we did titled, Who is Jesus? Apparently, people are, are searching, hey, tell me about Jesus. Who is he? Is Jesus who he said he was? And our content shows up. And so what's interesting is I'll get emails uh, from people, not only uh, across the nation, but from other parts of the world. Like a couple months ago, I received an email from a man living in Dubai who said that he was exploring the life of Christ, came across our content, and got saved. So isn't that interesting that people have a, an awareness that they, there's something missing in their lives. They're searching for truth. Now, what's, what's really curious about Jesus is he comes on the scene and he says, I am the way, I am the what? How relevant is Jesus to our own time? Such a desperate age looking for truth. 
And then um, additionally, there is just a general growing sense that something is broken in this world. The, the, the world is such a desperate place. Where can I find hope? Those things combined provided the inspiration for me to want to bring this series of messages. Um, if we combine the words of Jesus with this ever-growing human tendency to seek truth, gain wisdom, and in general, to change something about our world and our own condition, what if we combine those things together? Because if we were to ask Jesus, hey, what would you have to say about me and my life? What do you have for me? Jesus speaks to that space in a very profound way. And um, his starting point is exactly where you would expect it to be. And I'll explain that to you in a moment. Now, before we get to the words of Jesus specifically, in Jesus' time, there was another guy that, that, that came before him. He was uh, a, a, a truth torch bearer, and his name was John. He was actually the cousin of Jesus. He was John the baptizer. You might know him as John the Baptist. He wasn't affiliated with any denomination. He's John the baptizer, right? So he comes on the scene, and this dude's really, really wild, really wild. I mean, talk about being countercultural. Everything about him sort of assaulted your senses and sensibilities even, the way he looked, the things he said. But he was a precursor to the message that Jesus would bring. And there's actually the really important historical framework behind his arrival. And uh, one of the gospel writers, a um, man named Luke, he sets it up for us, Luke chapter 3. He says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. And then there's this guy named Herod, says, who was Tetrarch of Galilee. The word Tetrarch, that describes a governor who ruled over one-fourth of, of, a, of a Roman province. The Ro Romans did a really good jo job of organizing their government, and they would divide these provinces into fourths, and then they would install a governor, governor over each of the fourths. So that's why you're going to get a number of, of different names of these guys who are Tetrarch. Herod, Herod was one of them, Tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. This is all during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, I've said this many times before. You get these historical names and places in order to root the narrative in the reality of, of, its, of, of its time. So these aren't just, uh, I, I mentioned it during the Christmas Eve services. The story of Jesus doesn't start with once upon a time in a land far away, like it's some make-believe fairy tale. It's saying, no, let me just tell you, in the first century AD, these were the men who ruled in these places and in these times. So it roots it, the narrative is rooted in history. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, while he's out in the wilderness. After he receives this word from God, he goes out into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming, here's the message. He receives this word from God, and immediately he gets to work, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. So what you learn here is that apparently when this guy gets this word of God, word from God while he's out in the desert, this is all in fulfillment of what was spoken about 700 years earlier, specifically about this man. The prophet Isaiah says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and here's his message, prepare, preparation, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be lifted, and every mountain shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh, all humanity will see God's salvation. So this guy was radical, like I said before. He comes walking out of the desert, and elsewhere the text tells us that he's wearing some really retro clothes, right? He's got like camel, camel hair and and he's eating bugs, right? He smiles at you and he's got like, you know, it's not a real pretty sight, right? He breathes on you and you're like, what's this guy been eating? Been eating insects, wild honey. This is all a matter of preparation because he's functioning like an Old Testament prophet. Old Testament prophets received word from God and then they spoke on behalf of God to the people. So when this guy comes walking out of the wilderness and he shows up in your city and you're like, oh, I see what's going on. You look and sound just like one of those Old Testament prophets. And John's like, exactly. God has given me this message. And my message to you is this. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. My ministry is one of preparation because you see, eventually the valleys are going to be lifted and the mountains are going to be lowered. And what was bumpy is going to be made smooth because someone is about to arrive, sent from God, that will be God's salvation to all of mankind. And what I'm doing is, I'm just paving the way, everybody. What I'm telling everybody is, get yourself ready. How so? Repent and be baptized. That's his message. Now, the word baptize, you may already know, in its original context, literally means to dip. It was commonly used when referring to the dyeing of a garment. Let's say you have a garment, it's white. You dip it in a vat of color. Take it, dip it in. You pull the garment out and that garment is then identified with the color of the dye after it is baptized, after it is dipped in there. The garment changes its color. It's now identified with a different color. And that's exactly what baptism means. You get dipped, right? You get placed under the water. And now, as you come out, it's an identification thing. Everybody is searching for identity. Everybody is searching for an identity. This has become an interesting word in our time. But you know, it's nothing new to the Bible. Nothing at all. Every human was created with an identity problem. I don't care who you are you have an identity problem at birth. If you read the Bible carefully, what you understand is that you were created to identify with Jesus. 
whatever identity the earth tries to throw at you, the culture, the society, if it's apart from identifying with Jesus, it's misguided. And what happens is in our society is we want to elevate identities to be the ultimate thing in our lives, right? But humans were created to identify with Jesus Christ. John's message is repent, be baptized, change your identity, bring it into conformity with what God wants for you. And this message is really interesting to his crowd because his crowd is Jewish. And Jewish people were not familiar with baptism. Jewish people were familiar with baptism only in the sense that it's something Gentiles did, non-Jews, who wanted to become Jewish. If you wanted to adopt uh, the, the posture of, a, of Judaism and you were a Gentile, you weren't born into it, you could do so, but first you had to be baptized. You had to be identified with the Jewish faith. This is not something Jews did. And now John, in his Jewish voice, is speaking primarily to Jewish people, and he's saying, no, 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 you don't understand something. You Jews think that you're identified with God by birth. Wrong. And they're like, excuse me? See, they had, what did they have? They had an identity problem. Isn't that interesting? They had an identity problem. And he says, no, 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 no. You need to identify yourself first and foremost as a sinner, who's separated from God. And if you think you can get to, to, to God because you're Abraham's offspring, the great Jewish patriarch Abraham, you think you've got that blood in your veins and that God's gonna throw open the gates of heaven to you, you've got an identity problem. It's the wrong place, brothers. Jewish brothers, sisters, you need to be baptized. Everybody has an identity problem. We've all misplaced it. That's why the world is so jacked up, by the way. So this message is, is super countercultural. It's super radical. But let's talk about this word repent. Uh, essentially, this is, um, this is God's way of saying that everything is about to change. Um, the word repent literally means to place your mind. Or more accurately, to change your mind. To place the mind. Your mind is placed here. This is the way you think about things. This is what you believe. And, and what, what repentance means is you've got to take that and change that place. Change your mind. Change the way you think. About what? About who you are. About who God is. About who Jesus is. About where you're headed in life. You've got to change your thinking about what you think is right and wrong. And all of that stuff needs to be brought into identity now with the things of God and the things of Christ. So it's a perfect place for John to start. Repent and be identified with the things of God. Recognize that you are a sinner separated from God. So I told you these, these messages aren't going to land real well. I've told you before that when Americans are surveyed and they're asked what are, what are the great virtues in American uh, society and what they'll elevate above all else is the virtue of autonomy. In other words, we in particular as Americans, we do not want to be told what to do. We want to have total freedom over lives, and we don't want anybody telling us how to live. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he has a few things to say. And everybody's like, I'll be the judge of that. And meanwhile, God is like, 
I am the author, creator, sustainer of all life. You've been trying on your own, and it's not working too well for you. So let me introduce you to Jesus. Uh, this is a, um, it, it, things are about to get radical on the planet. Um, the, the, the language here is perfect. John says, get yourself ready for Jesus. Take a dip in the Jordan. I'm preparing the way for one that is about to come. And, and, he, and the prophet says, every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. Martin Luther King made this, this uh, uh, famous in his speech. What, what does that mean? Well, back in the day, they didn't have TikTok. They didn't have Instagram. They had to find their inspiration to describe things primarily from nature. Every valley will be lifted. Every mountain will be brought low. I think there's, there, this is pregnant with meaning, but I think perhaps primarily as it relates to the coming of Jesus, it, it means this. Um, for those who are exalted, like that mountain, you're going to have to be brought low. For those who are low, Jesus comes on the scene, and you know what he does for you? He actually lifts you up. I love what Tim Keller says. He puts it so well. He says, the message of Jesus is this. You're far worse than you think you are. You're far worse than you think you are. Most of us generally think that we're pretty good people. But the message of Jesus is, you're born a sinner, and you're completely and totally separated from the God who created you. And you have no way of bridging that gap on your own. You're far worse than you know. And at the same time, you are more loved than you could ever imagine. God sent his son for you. There's your value. And so when Jesus comes and he preaches the greatest sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount, he uses this imagery. And he basically, he says, hey, listen, if you're humble, if you're in a low position in life, you're blessed. And by the way, if you think you're all that, you're about to be brought low. And the reason why this is so important is because humility is the key to repentance. If you're gonna change your mind, change your thinking about things, then you have to adopt this posture that says, you know what, maybe it's not so good that I sit on the throne anymore. Maybe I've elevated myself a little too high and I need to be brought low. Some people walk around just thinking that they're the scum of the earth, they're not worth anything, and, and they have all kinds of thoughts about themselves, and Jesus is like, no, if you're, if you're sort of in that valley, let me lift you out of that valley, and let me just tell you how incredibly valuable you are to me. Those who think that they're greater than everybody else, Jesus is saying, you better bring it down a notch because you're not as good as you think you are. So the question remains, John hasn't specifically identified who this Lord, who this Messiah, this person is who's gonna reveal God's uh, salvation. So that's the question. Well, shortly into his baptizing ministry, John gets asked these questions by people like, hey, people are saying, you're kind of freaky, man. Your message is really different. Who are you? Are you some great prophet? Because you kind of look like it. You're talking like it. Tell us who you are. 
John chapter 1, they asked him, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, which means Messiah, nor Elijah the prophet? Elijah was their great prophet, and they thought when the Messiah comes, he's going to look like Elijah. So if you're not the Messiah and you're not Elijah the prophet, who are you, man? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. That's the job of the lowest slave. And John's like, the guy that I'm talking about, I'm not even worthy enough to be his slave. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, this is the dude I just told you guys about. That's him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I didn't know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water so that he would be revealed to Israel. And then John bears his own witness. Here's how. He said, at his baptism, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but then I found out. He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, that's the guy. That's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. He says, and I have seen him, borne witness that this guy is the son of God. As a side note, Jesus was baptized. If you haven't been baptized, what I like to say is you've got some unfinished business with God. Baptism doesn't save you, but what baptism does is it identifies you with Jesus is an outward expression of an inward change. Jesus was baptized. Um, We're gonna have baptisms on January 29th. On the 22nd, we have a baptism class. If you haven't been baptized, you've got some unfinished business with God. You can sign up for that in the lobby uh, before you leave. So John basically says, my work is done here. The guy that I've been paving the way for is now on the scene. So with John's departure, he's backing out. Jesus picks up where John leaves off. What would Jesus possibly want to say? One of the very first words recorded by Jesus, recorded by Matthew that Jesus has to say. What are the first words? Matthew chapter 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach. This is why I love preaching. Jesus preached. And what did he say? Repent. But then he has the motivation because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he continues John's message, repent. You've got to change the way you think, everybody. Place your mind in a different spot. And the motivation, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the Bible is very clear. We think of of the world as being, you know, it's like we have country versus country and we have different um, people groups and And we kind of divide things up like that in general, right? The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible divides every single person on the planet into one of two kingdoms. There's only two kingdoms ultimately that exist. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this earth. The kingdom of man and the kingdom of heaven. Every single person on the planet falls into one of those two kingdoms. The kingdom of this earth is described as typified by lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life, right? It is temporary, it is corrupt, it is evil, it is controlled by Satan. The kingdom of God is spiritual, it is eternal, 
It is pure. When Jesus was on the earth, he was giving us a taste of what this kingdom is like. And so when Jesus comes, he's inaugurating this new kingdom, and he says, if you want to be identified with this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, then you have to be identified with me, and it begins with repentance. This is the central message we see all throughout the Gospels. Jesus came preaching. Change your thinking, everybody. Change your thinking about what is right and what is wrong, what's moral, what's immoral, what's good, what's evil. Change your thinking about what will give you life. Change your thinking about who I am and how you get to heaven. Later, Jesus says this to the religious leaders, Matthew chapter three. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The religious leaders, let me just say it this way, religious people in general can be really good at talking a good game and really bad at living it out. And the religious leaders refused to submit themselves to God. They thought they were good enough to gain God's favor by their good behavior, their spiritual pedigree, but it's always an issue of the heart. Jesus tells a story about this in Luke chapter 18. To illustrate this point, verse nine, he says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee, he represents the religious people, and the other is a tax collector. This is the guy that gets up on the stage and says, I know I've got junk. Clearly, clearly I have done things to offend the God who has created me. The other tax collector, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, like these extortioners, these unjust people, these adulterers, or even like this tax collector right here. I fast twice a week. I get tithes of all that I get. See what he's saying? I'm such a good person. Every mountain will be what? Brought low. Every mountain will be brought low. You see how rich the language is. But the tax collector standing far off, this guy won't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. I know who I am. I'm a sinner. Which one of these two men has a right relationship with God? The dude that is, attends church every Sunday, gives his money, reads his Bible religiously, that guy, that guy who thinks he's good, or this guy who knows he's done wrong and admits it. I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified, the tax collector rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You catch that? Mountains made low, valleys raised up. Humility is the key to repentance. So in other words, all people, this is the message, all people everywhere need to change their thinking about their lives and how to live it. And that is the essence of Jesus' message right from the beginning. And it's really powerful and it's super pointed and it's extremely relevant 
for our time. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That might be the first place you need to repent. You can't get to God without going through Jesus. When you get to Acts chapter uh, 2, Peter stands up and he preaches this really powerful sermon, and essentially to a Jewish audience, he says, you guys messed up. You actually killed God's anointed one. That's a problem for you. And the people are stabbed with conviction. And they say, gotcha. What do we need to do? And what does Peter say? Repent and be baptized. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but you can tell that this series is going to be super fun. (laughs) And I'm proud of you for being here. And to those who might listen at some point in the future, I'm proud of you for listening. Because I think enough of us, us have just tired of playing games with the world. And it's, it's time to just, you know, make your life count and to recognize who Jesus is and, and to humble ourselves. And there isn't a person in this room that in some way doesn't need some measure of repentance, including myself. I've been repenting from some things myself this week. Had to change my thinking my attitude, bring it in conformity with Jesus Christ, who is the truth. And when that happens, you've heard me say, God always blesses the greatest likeness to his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to be blessed, look to Jesus. So here's how we're going to end our time together. There's something that I want to start doing together as a church family. Uh, I want us to pray together, and I want us to pray for each other. So I'm going to end our time in prayer, and we're going to have some of our leaders up front here. And if you want to be prayed for, to be prayed over, if you want to start the year in that way, I would invite you just to uh, come forward and to meet with them. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, hey, listen, I need to repent of a lot. Primarily, uh, I need to change my thinking about who I am and who Jesus is, and I need to enter into a real relationship with Jesus. These people would love to have that conversation with you as well. So I'm going to pray. They're going to make their way up here. The worship team is going to lead us through a song as they do. We just invite you guys to come up and uh, participate in prayer with us. Father, always and forever, this is about lifting up the name of Jesus and giving him his rightful place in our lives. Father, we thank you for the truthfulness of the scriptures and the straightforward uh, words of Jesus that speak to every human heart. Lord, in some ways we need to be brought low, in other ways we need to be elevated, and and that's exactly what the, the gospel of Jesus Christ does, and we're so appreciative of that. Father, for those that are in the room that might be far from you, maybe they're here, they're hearing these things for the first time, God, continue to draw them to you. Thank you for my brother Craig who shares his powerful story this morning, Lord, reminding us that you are in the business of changing lives. So Lord, just pray that you would enter into this space. Pray a special blessing over all those who need prayer this morning. All for your glory we pray in Christ's name, amen.